greetings to each one in Jesus' name. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you for your prayers throughout the week. I greatly appreciated them and could feel them. This morning, the title of the message is Liberty. Turn with me to Galatians 1. I was going to do an overview of the book of Galatians, and I think I failed. And I don't, I don't know if it's frustrating or what... Frustrating doesn't sound like the right word, but when I write a sermon, like a 30-minute, 45-minute sermon, and then we sing a song that says more than I could say in 35 minutes, and I was like, how did these, how did these songwriters capture this? And so when I appreciated the songs that were led this morning, but basically within 10 minutes of singing, the song said what I'm going to attempt to say in the next half hour. So... Um, we may do something strange and re-sing a song that we sang this morning because I, I feel like I maybe got more of a blessing having studied what I studied and then singing the song, it's like it was confirmation to me of what I had studied. So we may sing song number 729 again, whoever the closing song leader is. Galatians 1, 1 through 5, Paul an apostle, apostle not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I've noticed over the years that liberty is a popular concept. A famous man once said, I think it was Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Have you ever heard those words before? And it was a very impassioned speech. But many a man has claimed to be on the path of liberty and is on the path to eternal damnation as well. And, And that's a sad story, but it's the truth. Uh, So this morning we'll discuss the liberty that's found here and made available through Christ. And I think it's spelled out in verse 4. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might give us liberty. How it says it in verse 4, it says that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Have you been delivered from this present evil world? Or is this some future glory that he's talking about here in Galatians? The key is deliverance from this present evil world. Many call liberty the ability to do what I want to do. And that's not the liberty that Christ is offering here. But by deliverance, do you think, well, you know, I'm in this world. There's, I'm surrounded by evil. It's pressing into my life. And so one day I'm going to be delivered in a future when I I die and I go to be with Jesus, and then I'll be delivered out of this present evil world. Well, when I was thinking about which was he referring to, I thought of his prayer for us in John 17, 14. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus, in his prayer for us, he said, I'm not praying that you take my children out of the world right now, but I'm praying that by your Holy Spirit, by your power, you keep them from the evil that's in the world. And I believe he can keep us from the evil that surrounds us. Liberty is a very precious commodity. It's a very precious commodity. Many of war has been fought on the pursuit of liberty. And I don't think our liberty was any different other than the fact of who fought the battle. Christ fought the battle to gain you and I liberty. He he fought the battle at the cross and subsequently rising from the dead three days later. And the thing that always stands out to me is people don't desire liberty until they realize they're in bondage. If they don't think they're bound, they often don't desire liberty. And it's those people that have experienced bondage and recognized bondage who fear going back into bondage. But if you don't think you're bound, 
you're probably not pursuing liberty. The sinner is no different. If the sinner thinks he's having a good time, he's not bound, he's not in trouble, he's not in chains, he's not in shackled, uh, he's doing just fine. I thought about doing an object lesson, but it had great potential to go off the rails. So I will describe the object lesson that I was going to attempt to do. So I was going to get a large box, something that you'd, you know, you'd find a, a washer or dryer in, a large appliance box, and I was going to write prison on it. And then I was going to get one of the little children, I was going to put him in the box, and every time he wanted out of the box, I was just going to offer him some candy. And, you know, give him the option, you can, you can ask your mommy or daddy to come get you out of the box whenever you want, but if you stay in the box, I'll sweeten the deal. And so, you know, and, and so it started out with some Smarties, you know, here. You have a couple Smarties. And then the child's like, you know, I've had Smarties before. I want my mom. So I'd offer him a Snicker bar, you know. It's like, here's a Snicker bar. And, well, mom doesn't let me have Snicker bars. Maybe I'll stand here and eat this Snicker bar. How long would it be till a child has a stomach ache and says, you know what, I'm tired of this junk food. I'm tired of being in this box. I want out. Well, the sinner's a lot the same way. We're, we're our own worst enemy. And we, we realize when, we're, when we realize we're in bondage is about the time Satan says, oh, you're not bound. Here, let me give you this. And he offers us, he reaches into his little bag of junk food, and he hands us something that he thinks is enticing. And you take it, and you're like, man, that didn't make me feel very good. But it, there was a little bit of sweetness to it, you know, and like, I, I still want freedom. So he offers you something else. Never a lot of stuff, but always a little bit of stuff. Just, just enough to keep you thinking that you're okay. And he might, after a while, open the door and say, oh, you're free to go. But, you know, there's candy here. You can come back anytime you want. And we become slaves to our own self and our flesh and our lusts and whatever it is, we, we, we are in bondage. And anyone that has not accepted Christ, we're born sinners. I, I know that a child, when they are born, has not yet sinned, but they're born with a sin nature. And every person, there's nothing, no such thing as being born a Christian. I think we can all agree with that. Um, I, had a, I had a man, um, he was at the store, I think I told you this story, he said he was born a Christian, and that's why he was able to offer communion to other people because he's always been a Christian. He never actually became a Christian. He's just always been one. And that's not the way it works. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're all in need of a Savior. But the more we recognize that need, the more we're going to appreciate the saving. If, if we don't think we're very bound and we think all it took was a, like a little turning of the key and we're loosed, well, anyone could do that. But it took a lot more than just the turning of a key. Now, Christ came to save sinners. And that was the message that Paul and the apostles preached. And Christ came to give us liberty. And if you turn, you don't have to turn there. It's one verse. But if you want to know where it is, Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61.1 is a fulfillment of prophecy or was prophesying that a Savior would come. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Then if you look at a parallel scripture found in Luke 4, in Luke 4, actually... They handed Jesus a Bible or a scroll at that time, whatever it is. They handed him the book, and he started reading at that same place, Isaiah 61.1. And here's what it says in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. And I want to pull one more scripture in here and then tie them all together. Genesis 3.15. Now, what does Genesis 3.15 have to do with any of this? Let's see. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. 
Now, Genesis 3.15 is often referred to as, as the very first prophecy we have of a Savior. And it's a veiled prophecy. I, I can't say that me just reading through Genesis would have said, oh, well, there's a Savior coming out of verse 15. But the meaning was, if we look at the verse in Genesis, the promise to, to the woman would be that her offspring would bruise, which means to crush, strike, or overwhelm the head of the serpent. So when you get hit in the head, it's often a fatal blow. But it also says that the serpent would bruise or strike, crush, or overwhelm the heel of the offspring of the woman, which was referring to Jesus. So Satan would strike the heel of Jesus or crush his heel, and that prophecy was fulfilled on the cross when Jesus received a blow that Satan thought was to death. Satan really thought that he had won the battle, I believe. And, went, and they, they nailed Jesus to the cross, and actually what Satan thought was defeating the Savior was his defeat. Now, isn't that amazing that he said, if I kill the Savior, then I win? No, that's not how it worked out. Jesus' death on the cross dealt a fatal blow to the serpent. So let's look at the verse in Luke. At the end of the verse, Jesus says, I came to set at liberty them that are bruised. And, and that correlates with Genesis as well. He came to um, set at liberty those that are bruised. In trying to bruise Jesus, Satan attempts to antagonize, tempt, destroy all that belongs to Jesus or all that would belong to Jesus. He, he hates you as followers of Christ and he wants to destroy you. But Jesus came to bind up, it says, what Satan messed up, Jesus came to put back together. Brokenhearted, actually, it, it takes it more than that, and it means to like bust into slivers and tiny pieces. And Jesus has the power to put us back together into a better person, a better being than we were before, much better, a new man. Jesus came and through his death provided deliverance and liberty to the captives. I think what is vitally important for us to, to remember and ponder is that without Jesus, we would forever be the servants of sin and the devil. There wasn't another solution. Uh, when Jesus was in the garden, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Isn't that what he prayed to the Father? If there's another way, let me not go to the cross. Well, there was no other way. And so he went to the cross. He fulfilled what he came to earth to do. Isaiah prophesied that Christ would come and he would open to the, the prison to those that were bound. Then turn with me to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18 for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, and through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Well, how would you figure that out? I mean, that's, that's amazing right there. I can see why the devil was confused by that. Well, if I kill him, I win. That's not how it worked. And delivered the, them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So Jesus not only gave us the power over the death, but he provides a means in this life to live above temptation. He said, being that he was tempted, he can um, comfort or be with those that are tempted also. I believe the more we understand a scripture, the, the better we'll avoid error. And so my whole study actually started when I decided I wanna figure out what Galatians was talking about when it was talking about Hagar and Sarah. 
And I'm not even going to get to that today. But that's where my study began. I was like, I want to know what this even means. So I have a better understanding, but I'm not ready to present it to the church. So why did Paul write Galatians? Why did Paul write Galatians? I think we find the answer in verses 6 and 7. If we turn back to Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul was concerned. Okay, I'll ask you this question. Was there a church named Galatians? No, it was an area. Um, and sometimes we read it and we think, well, maybe there's a church called Galatians. No, it was an area. It was a group of churches. And I think probably they were supposed to pass this letter around in the churches because he says unto the churches of Galatia. So it was an area over there. It was, it was called Galatia. And he said, I'm, I'm, I marvel that I preach to you Christ and now you're being removed from the gospel that I presented unto you. And he said, you're following another gospel that's not a gospel at all. And so I, I heard a preacher, and he, he made this statement, and I think it's a true statement. If there is many ways to God, okay? So if there's many ways to God, Jesus is not one of them. Because Jesus said, I'm the only way to the Father. But there is not many ways to God. There's not many other gospels. There's not many other paths. There's one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. No one's going to God any other way. So what is the gospel? Well, I'll try to present it in a nutshell. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to be a sacrifice for our sins, and by his death on the cross and shed blood, he made atonement for our sins. And if we accept the free gift of salvation, he will forgive us our sins and he will give us our spirit that we may walk in newness of life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. What it was happening here in the Galatian churches was that Judaizers were adding to the gospel that was being preached and made it of none effect. Today, there are those that add to the gospel, and there's also those that take away from the gospel. And I'm not sure which is the greater threat that we face in our churches today, but I see many more people taking away from the message of the gospel today. And as I look around the churches of America, the strong majority are taking away from the message of the gospel rather than adding to it. So what did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? We just studied it this morning. He said, neither do I condemn thee. And that is the place where the majority of Protestant churches and an steadily increasing amount of Anabaptist churches stop. Neither do I condemn thee. That's where they stop. Well, Jesus didn't condemn, we don't condemn. Jesus didn't judge, we don't judge. Jesus offered mercy and grace, we offer mercy and grace. So far, so good, but it's not the complete message. And that is where so many people stop. I'm saved by grace, the unmerited favor of God in my life, and that, my friends, is true. But there's more to the gospel message than that. I've been saved by grace through faith. Praise the Lord. You know, people will tell you, that's all there is to the gospel message. Now you're good to go. You can live like the devil. I had a man come into the store and say, I could shoot my own grandmother now, and I would go to heaven just fine. That is, that is a lie. But it's being preached in churches, and it's coming into our churches. And it, it, it shakes me. And so as I studied the Word of God, uh, a preacher talked about trembling at the Word of God. And I tremble as I, as I preach the Word of God, because I don't want to get to heaven and... And God say, well, you misrepresented the scriptures. And I, I don't want to misrepresent the scriptures. But I think there's a verse in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, 
But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And the gospel message that they claim it's just John 3.16, that's a vital part of the gospel message. But the gospel message is contained in these words here. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is valuable. It's the gospel message of Christ. Now turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, and we'll read them from 18, and then we'll just keep going into chapter 6 to about verse 14. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to the condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered... And the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace abound? God forbid, how should we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by the baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we shall not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ be raised from the dead and dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed in, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye shall obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have not dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. That's a key phrase right there. You're not under the law, but it doesn't mean you're lawless. It says you are under grace. The grace of God in the life of the believer always works righteousness. Now, do you believe that this morning? The grace of God in the life of a believer always works righteousness. If you believe that, you're among the minority. Because so often we make excuses for our sinful past. But I, I believe that grace of God in my life has the power to work righteousness within me and not the other way around. It's not my own righteousness. My own righteousness is but filthy rags. But Christ's grace in my life is able to produce righteousness. And you won't find a born-again Christian hopelessly entangled in the bonds of sin unless there's been areas of their life they have not turned over to the Lordship of Christ. And when I thought about this, I wanted to look at Christ first because Christ is my focus. Christ is what I want to preach. Christ is all in all. How much did Christ give for you? 50%? 60%? 100%. He went the whole way. He died. He died. He gave everything he could. All his blood, everything. The, the most someone can give for you is their life. Is that not true? What more can you give? If someone gives their life, they've given all. How much have you given for Christ? How much did you give for Christ? Here it talks in Romans, it says, if we are baptized into his death, 
Okay, so we're dying to self. We shall also live. We can walk in newness of life. If we have given 100% every area of our life to the control of Christ, it's going to make a difference in our life. We're going to live differently. It, the, the times in my life that I don't live as I should are times when I don't want to surrender areas of my life to Christ. Those are the times. If I surrender to Christ, my life, <laughs> I, I, I desire to be like Christ. I desire to do things that are right. It's the areas of my life that I don't want to surrender that get me in trouble. In Romans 6, 16 and 18, it says, Who do you yield yourselves servants to obey? Of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? So grace works in our lives so that we can obey God and obedience produces righteousness that God can handle. <laughs> he, I think self-righteousness disgusts God, but the righteousness that comes through Christ is is loving. It, it's what it's. So what does it talk about? Our reasonable present our lives as but reasonable sacrifices. I can't pull the verse up right now, but that's what that's what we're here for is to present our bodies as a sacrifice to God, living sacrifice. Thank you, Bradley. What Paul refers to as under grace, I believe the Apostle James refers to the perfect law of liberty. And I like that. The perfect law of liberty. Turn with me to James 1. James 1, I think 21 to the end of the chapter, says, Wherefore, laying apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth straightway, he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. I couldn't find the verse, but uh, a man said that when it talked about the Bible, looking at the commandments of God, he, he said it gave the, the idea of looking on them so as not to lose them. And so if it talks about, a, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's say I had some gold coins here. And the idea of, I'm going to look at them so not to lose them. If I keep my focus on the things of God, it's going to be a lot harder for me to lose the things of God. If I meditate on God's word and I'm a doer of God's word, I'm not going to lose sight of what God would have me to do. And so if I'm looking at this pile of gold, it's, I'm going to see if you're taking it away from me. And so as we study scriptures, as we're in scripture, we'll know truth from error. We'll know if someone's trying to deceive us. Jesus, when he spoke to the woman caught in adultery, said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And I think both had equal weight. He wasn't condemning, but he also gave her a commandment. He didn't say, Go sin a little less. Go, um, go and try not sin. Just try, be a good person. That's all I'm asking you. Go and try, be a good person. It's not what God said. Oh, go and keep on sinning. No, it's not what he said. He said, go and sin no more. Because Jesus recognized better than any one of us can the seriousness of sin. 
And one thing that I've realized is that my heart doesn't grieve about sin as God would have it grieve about sin. When you hear that someone's living in sin or has been involved in sin, does it grieve your heart? If you're living in sin and you recognize your own sin, does it grieve your heart? And we're, we've become so used to sin and we've become so used to seeing sin and we've been surrounded by so much sin that it's like, well, that's okay. You know, there's forgiveness. There's, and there is forgiveness and all that. But I think it grieves the heart of God. And I think it should grieve the heart of his people when we see sin. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11 would say as much. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrow after godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge in all things ye approve yourselves to be clear in this matter. A godly sorrow and a proper view of sin leads to the ability to overcome it, to not go back. To stay away from it. It, it creates that, that zeal in your life that you're going to need to live above sin. Did this woman caught in adultery receive the grace and mercy of Jesus? She did. Do you think she was forever indebted to Jesus for what he had did? I think she was. I think that not only did Jesus just spare her life in a physical sense, but he gave her a chance at eternal life. Well, what? Oh, that's me and you. Do you know that? That's me and you. So do we feel as indebted to Jesus as that woman did? I think so often we don't. It says, he that was forgiven little loves little. And sometimes we don't view ourselves as that, that bad of a person. I'm not a bad sinner like that woman was. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I was, I was no better off. I've been forgiven a lot. I've been forgiven tremendously. Do I realize the debt that has been erased on my behalf? If I can but get a small glimpse of what I've been forgiven of, will not that produce a love in my heart to follow Christ and to keep myself from sin? to say, why would I want to go back there? I love Christ, and he saved me from it once. Why would I want for him to have to do it again and again? And, and brothers and sisters, we will fall. We will sin. Um, unfortunately, that's the way it works. But a love for Christ, a proper love from Christ, will keep us from a whole lot of that, a whole lot. Okay, let's look at the, the other side of the coin. What, what, were, what was happening in Galatians that they were adding to this? Um, turn with me to Acts 15. I think Acts 15 is kind of... I'm going to have to keep moving fairly quickly. Acts 15, verse 1, and we'll read it. Actually, down to verse 21. And it'll give us the background of what Paul was addressing in Galatians. And I'm going to go through it rather quickly, but I'll try to explain it to you. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, saying, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought in the way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the con conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful of circumcised, it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for, to consider this manner. And when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that how 
that a good while ago God made choice among us, and the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, and purified their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God, and to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither your fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they." They all, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring the miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at first had visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And this I'll return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I'll build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom the name is called, saith the Lord, who doth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. In Galatians, it, it refers to the law. It just, says, it just calls it the law, but I believe it's referring to the law of Moses. And in Ephesians, it says that Christ, when he died, he broke down the middle wall of partition. What was the middle wall of partition? I think it was a divide between the Gentiles and the Jews. And Christ on his death broke down that, which makes it so you and I can be saved, which is a blessing because I think we're all Gentiles here. And so he broke down that wall so that we could be saved. And it says he abolished the ordinances contained in the law of Moses. Now, what are these ordinances? Uh, I just wrote down a few that I could think of, and it's not limited to these, but it includes these. Circumcision, Sabbath or Sabbath days, ceremonial washings, the eating of certain meats, the distance one could walk, animal sacrifice, and there's probably many more. And he abolished the ceremonial law of Moses or completed it in his death on the cross. Some would say that he abolished the Ten Commandments. That is not the truth. The, the Ten Commandments were not abolished in Jesus Christ. He actually simplified the Ten Commandments into two commandments. Um, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So we have two commandments that contain all these other laws. Now my concern is, um, some hold the nation of Israel as a very maybe on a pedestal. And the fear is that one day this desire to add to the gospel will come back around. The desire to bring back ceremonial things and mingle them with the, the gospel, I'm afraid that that's going to come back around. And so that's why I'm presenting it this morning. This is something that Paul fought against in he, nearly every writing that he wrote. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 7, it says this, But the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast obtained, but refuse profane and old wise fables, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So he warned Timothy, he said, there's those that are going to come into your midst, and they're going to preach that you shouldn't eat certain meats, and that you shouldn't get married, and, and these different things that um, were contained in the old covenant. And he said, beware, lest this comes in. And here in Galatia, the church has started to mix the Moses' law of circumcision. They said, unless a man was circumcised, 
and accepted Jesus, he couldn't be saved. And Paul said, no, that, that has nothing to do with it. That's, that's the old ceremonial law. Don't go there. And in Galatians 2, um, you can turn there, Galatians 2, 11 to 21, it gives a little bit more, and it might have been the account I read in Acts. It might have been a separate occasion, but this is what he says. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I whisked him to the face because he was to blame. So I, I guess if you have a problem with uh, a fellow person, you could just talk to him face to face. Probably the best way to go about it. And he whisked him to the face, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, fearing them of the circumcision. So Peter, he, he got intimidated when all these Jews showed up. And he's like, I better stop hanging out with the Gentiles now. And he went over to the Jews' table, and he hung out there. And Paul's like, what are you doing? You just said yourself that the Gentiles received salvation just as we did. Why are you hiding amongst this, this group of uh, superior elders, I guess is what it was. And so he was over there, and it says, Other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the dissimulation. So Paul's friend Barnabas was also went over to the Jewish side, and he's like, what is going on? Where the ceremonial law has been vanquished and they're wanting to bring it back. And they're, they're saying it's another gospel. And he says, no gospel at all. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as, the, as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified, be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For though... For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If righteousness came by the ceremonial observance of sacrifices, of Sabbath days, of new moons, of feasts, and strict adherence to that, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come at all because they had a solution. But they didn't have a solution. And Jesus was the solution. So that's why Jesus came. And he, he abolished the ceremonial laws. If we go back to Acts 15, Acts 15, 28 to 29, he, I think they held on to four things from the law of Moses, the best I could to come up with. He said, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, from the blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from the which ye yourselves keep yourselves, ye shall do well, farewell. And for a long time, I thought that was the rules and disciplines of the Gentiles. <laughs> I don't believe that anymore. But I think they held to those four things that I believe are backed by the ceremonial law of Moses. And the one that I could find the least amount on was things strangled. I didn't know that was a big thing. But I, I think the idea was if it was not killed properly and it was saturated in its own blood, it was not to be eaten. Um, so when we kill an animal, we're supposed to bleed out the animal and, so it, and not just eat its blood. Okay, so I think that's a New Testament teaching, uh, as best I can tell. But the rest, okay, so it says we are no longer under the law, but under grace. Why I don't think that that was their rules and disciplines was if you're a follower of Christ, you're a follower of the teachings of Christ. And there's a lot more teachings than those four things. So I think Paul just expected them to be following the teachings of Christ. And then there was four other things that says, well, tell them not to do these four things as well, and we'll be happy. 
Okay, Galatians 3, 27. Um, well, let's go to Galatians 3, 16 first. There's a lot of good 3.16 scriptures throughout the Bible. If you go through and read the 3.16s, it's quite interesting. But this is one of them. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made, and he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. I wouldn't have picked up on that uh, if Paul had it laid it out. But the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled in Christ. Um, that's a forever covenant. When Christ is your lineage, then you're good to go. That's forever. We can be part of that lineage as well. And we are. We better be. Galatians 3, 27 to 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have, been, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, listen to this, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, Romans 11 would say, don't gloat about this. <laughs> don't say, well, we're special now. Because as easy as you were grafted in, you could be grafted back out. But um, we're not supposed to be gloating about it, but it's a great and precious promise that we should enjoy. So I wanted it to be abundantly clear this morning that there is and always will be only one way to the Father, and it's the same for the Jews, and it's the same for the Gentiles. If the Jews are going to come to Jesus here in the end times, it's going to be through Jesus Christ. That's their, that's their way. He's the Messiah. If the Gentiles are going to come through Jesus to, to God, it's through Jesus Christ. That's our way. Don't let, anyone, don't let anyone say there's any other way to Christ. Galatians 5, 13 to 18. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Now catch this. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. I also wanted to be abundantly clear that to live in grace is not in a lawless manner. However, in Galatians, Paul does give a provision to live lawlessly. Okay? So if you want to live lawlessly today, I'll give you a list. I'll leave you with these words this morning. Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. God bless you.